Employee of the Month. Here's your host, Katie Lazarus. Welcome to Employee of the Month. So, so happy to be interviewing Adam Goldberg. I'm interviewing him at the Sony lot um, at the Goldbergs show um, to get a real sense of what it means to be a showrunner. It sounds terrifying to me. I've always wanted to be a TV writer, but I can't imagine having to manage all these monkeys. So I'm going to go find out what it's like and you're going to come with me. So without further ado, here's my interview with Mr. Adam Goldberg. Not all writers are monkeys. I didn't. I wasn't saying that they're all furry. I just meant that they're a little wild, slightly feral. That's what I meant. I am very, very excited to be here with Mr. Adam Goldberg, who's um, latest greatest project is called um, The Goldbergs. It's um, about another family. It's not about his. Um, it's a television show that you can catch on ABC. And you can also, if you don't have television, you can watch it on your computer. Although ABC makes you have this annoying um, like screen gaze over half over half of it. I've never. <laughs> done, well, thank you for having me. I uh, It's also on iTunes. And I think... Um, and Netflix has it now. Yes. So there's other ways. Hulu, there's other ways. But ABC is one of the, the easier networks to get, so it doesn't even cost you extra money. You can put a little dish on your True. On your on your yurt. Yes. You know. Because I mean, yes. a, a lot of our listeners live in yurts. They do. Um, Mongolian yeah. tents made of skins. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, Adam, welcome to Employee of the Month. I wanted to ask you, you grew up in what sounds like a chaotic home environment. How were you able to take all of that chaos <laughs> and put it towards something good, which is um, creative art. Um, well, it's, it's interesting. Um, to me, like, my, my household didn't seem chaotic to me. It, okay. was, it, was, all, it was what I knew, and it seemed normal. Um, we were the kind of family that was super loud. Um, we loved fighting and yelling. It was kind of how we communicated. And it's funny, my wife says... Um, that she calls it adamnesia, which is like amnesia because you'd get in a huge fight and then a second later we're all just hanging out and laughing. Whereas in her family, they would like separate and go into different rooms and never talk again. Um, you know, we like fighting was just a way of life in our house. And 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 so I, I thought this was normal and I had all these video. I'm sorry. Hold on one second. Yes. We're, we're at Adam's office and he's in the middle of hey, trying to get Hi, I can't. Then. Is anyone there? But the yeah, person Mr. has two Cabbage uh, Patch Mr. Kids. Said I this is what happens in okay. TV right now. Can we hear about the Cabbage Patch Kids? <laughs> Does this, is this, can you edit? Are you allowed to edit or no? I can, but that was amazing to be interrupted as if it was uh, like an emergency. I feel horrible. And we, then there's a man, an we, adult male, like carrying Cabbage Patch we Kids. Just got, Why would I edit that out? We just got... Uh, <laughs> I'm working the front desk. Oh, now Jeff Garland is here. I want to say anything about Adam. I'm interviewing him about his career. Um, so Jeff Garland, who stars on the Goldbergs, walked in. He didn't offer anyone else food, but he was bringing. I will bring you himself. one. Would you like a skirt steak? There's skirt steaks in there. It's very exciting because I don't usually eat meat, and I have my skirt steak from the Daily Grill. Look at yeah, you. Yeah, I know. So this is what I want to say. Adam gets good food. <laughs> I do get good food here, except on weeks where he's working on uh, cleaning out his system. Uh, there is, and, and by the way, if he sucked or I was not happy, I wouldn't even be in the room. This is true. (laughs) You know it's true. But the point being is, it is an honor to work for him and help be a storyteller for him. He He tells wonderful stories. He's created a TV show that a family can watch that's not soft. You know, a lot of times people refer to family entertainment, and it's always soft. He's got a strong point of view. 
he tells these adventures and it's it's the kind of show that forget want to watch i do watch with my son with my kids do you do you feel like this intimidating burden carrying on the legacy of someone who's like he's alive and you're like playing, oh you mean the playing the father yeah, and his not father. at all i did any similarity between my myself and adam's father is in the writing and or what Adam sees when he sees me. In terms of my approaching it, I just want to be true to whatever Adam's writing, as well as be funny. I could give a crap if I'm true to his dad. I mean, by the way, I respect his dad, and thanks for <laughs> existing, so I have a character, but I don't pay attention to that stuff. That's too much to think about. I, I always, there's there's times that I'm in the editing room watching Jeff, and I'm like, I this is like channeling my dad. Now, Jeff didn't know my dad, but it, I yeah. think it is the writing, but also, you know, Jeff and my dad were just so similar. I say to people, <laughs> I hired my dad to play my dad, uh, good and bad. <laughs> Jeff and I will argue like I argue with my dad. Yeah, uh, no, we, 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 we do, but we, we actually, though, but I have so much, the point being is, I have so much respect for Adam that we're always good, even if we disagree, because I look at it, it's his show. It's not my show, and I'm his storyteller. You're a vessel. I am. So sometimes I'll say to him, I'm not sure about saying this, and he'll go, that's really important to me. It's from my dad. And then I don't even discuss it with him further. I just do it. You're a shofar. I'm a shofar. <laughs> Look at you. Um, yeah, and also, Adam, the only difficulty is Adam being an Orthodox Jew. That really yeah, on, just On Friday it. nights, the whole show shuts down. Just shuts down. down. Uh, I've called him, I've made the mistake of calling him on a Saturday morning. <laughs> but then we have a nice locks platter on Sunday yeah, right. he shows up. Um, by the way, thank you. That means a lot. So and and Jeff, one of the things I love about working with Jeff is when I'm showrunners get super dark. You have so much weighing on you, and then I'll just get a call. It's like Jeff's on the phone, and I'll go, "Oh God, what's the fire? What's what's going on?" And he'll just go, "It's a great script. I just want to tell you, you're doing great. That's all." I do that. It's It's so nice. Well, I don't. But here's the thing: I do that, but I don't think about it. I just do it. You know what I mean? It's not like it's like. Cause uh, you 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 I like saying nice things when I think about it. By the way, did you get the toys? I see? you did. Oh yeah, oh the, yeah. The other toys. They're, they're what coming. People do in Hollywood. They give each other toys. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> this is what we do on Adam's show. <laughs> we give each other Adam's. Yeah, I I am okay, an so avid. I, was, I did a movie for the the Leica people. Oh. And the box trolls, they sent me a bunch of toys. I'm waiting. Yeah, as soon as to... I got them, I knew Yeah, I'm waiting to show it to my to my kids so that I can bring them I home and surprise them. Oh, the Batman, Batman, my son Joker. took a couple of those and ripped them open. You're going to have to explain what box trolls are because this is a podcast a for adults. So they might not know well, no, it's it's just a movie. It's <laughs> right. an animated movie, sort of stop motion animation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Leica, I did a movie for them called Paranorman. Yeah. And they also did, I forgot what the name of the, the girl, the... Caroline. Caroline. Yeah. Coraline. 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 Yeah. No, no. That was the same company. I was in their second movie. This is their third. But whenever I get toys... He brings them to me. I bring them to you. I I am true to my character on the show. I still am an avid toy collector. But this is... But really being totally truthful, I am... My job is to help tell his story. And thank God his stories are great. You know? And people are responding to them. That's how, much, how much does it resonate with you in terms of being a dad now? 
Like, how much does that... Okay, I'm just going to tell you this, then i got to get out of here, because I want to sit at his desk and send more people in. Um, that was so funny. He came Hilarious. Up and I go, no, he's a, who's in there? I go, Annette, it's minors. I was just in there. Go ahead. He, uh, so that was the, that's why they kept knocking over and over. Jeff Carlin was in doing a bit. And here's me doing an interview. It's a guy with a bunch of Cabbage Patch kids to, to, to show me we're doing a Cabbage Patch episode. So a guy shows up at the door. Xavier Roberts is on the butt. Yes. When I got my first Cabbage Patch kid, my best friend told me I wasn't a good mother because I didn't read right. to the Cabbage Patch to sleep. That's hilarious. And then we were watching <laughs> Fatal Attraction and that was okay because that's why I didn't read to her because I wanted yeah. to get back to Well, we're doing attraction. a whole episode about them and then a man shows up during my interview with a handful of Cabbage Patch kids. <laughs> and it's because Jeff well, Here's what I'm going to say to you which is really strange. You say, does it resonate with me? My wife, not quite Beverly Goldberg. Who is, who is a casting director. Yes. Um, but... So much of Beverly Goldberg as a mother in the TV show is like my wife. My boys are the exact same age as the boys on the show. Actually, the exact same, same age as the boys. Well, anyhow, the same age. As Barry Boy. and Adam. Yes. Yeah. And so when I go home, it's like between my wife and the two boys, it's like, wait a second. Is that real? Is this real? <laughs> and I'm not even, I mean, I know which is real. But it's really unsettling sometimes that I walk from work, go into my house, and it's just like work. Yeah. There's no exaggeration. And my reactions are the same. I'm, I'm, I'm growling about something. But I'm a lot more one affectionate. Of my, than... One of my favorite things is we did an episode where all I wanted to do was play Nintendo with my dad when I was a kid. He thought it was dumb. He never wanted to do it. And so I write this episode about this. It was our Thanksgiving episode, and Jeff comes up to me and goes, I just had this argument with my son, and it's so weird. We're doing this. It's just happened, and that's one of my favorite scenes we've ever shot because you could tell when you sat down with little Adam, it was actually like you were almost talking to your son. It's such yeah, a my sweet son, scene. Duke, was very upset with me, and it was very serious because I never played his PlayStation with him. He was, he was furious. And then I get the script. <laughs> Go figure. That was crazy. All right, I'm leaving. I'm going to have some Thank skirts. Thank you so much, Jeff Garland. I'll be Garland. sending more people oh, wait. in. One, one last question. Did yes. he make you audition in his underwear? In your underwear. Sorry. <laughs> no, but you know, they told me that when I, they said, would you have a problem? And I said, you have to understand. The only difference between this and my real life is the tidy whitey factor. Because <laughs> at home, my pants come off. I am in the door. My oh, office nice. is right around the corner from the door. I drop my pants. I'm in my underwear. Boom. Yeah. Good night, nurse. Every day. Oh, and yeah. if I get up and I'm not leaving the house, there are no pants going on. I'm Baron Von Underwear at home. <laughs> now, here, the uncomfortable thing is two things. One is I have to wear a special... Cod, cod piece. Yeah. Well, I have to wear... And I thought about that because there's no holes, whereas my dad's always had holes in Oh, them. yeah. No, these are... This is like... It's like armor almost. padding because they saw movement early on. Yeah, jiggling. So, we don't so want jiggling. totally true. The network sensors were upset. Um, so that's the only difference, the tidy whities which I don't enjoy. All right, well, wonderful to spend time with you. <laughs> Thank you. Bye, Bye Jeff. We, we will talk later. Okay, cool. All right. Tomorrow, so, <laughs> tomorrow, like uh, May before table read. Okay. okay, all right, cool. Bye. But this gave a realistic view of what it's like to to be a show on. Yeah, it. I mean, I, I you know, honestly, I was very hesitant on doing this just because it's a nonstop every day. Just people, um, you're trying to write scripts, you're trying to edit, and uh, trying to work with the room, trying to go down the stage, and nonstop people cycling in be it bringing in the Cabbage Patch Kids, actors coming in wanting to talk to you. So it's just constant. I knew it would be constant inter- inter- 
interruptions and totally hectic, which it is. So. Which it's a great, it's an actual a view of what it's Yeah, like. some days it's fantastic to be in all that action, and some days it's just so overwhelming and kind of soul-crushing because you're just like, I just want to sit down and write a script, and now I have to talk to someone about Cabbage Patch Kids for 20 minutes. And, and how, how do you manage that um, it's kind of an, an unmanageable job, and you just have to. The really only only way is to be incredibly decisive, because um, let's say every day I have to probably make uh, just hundreds, if not a thousand, decisions. If you agonize over one, you'll never get home. So um, it's really all about trying to get home at the end of the day. At a, what at time a, do you usually get home, Ron? Um, the pro- the interesting thing about the job is that I. The way I look at it is I have two jobs. Uh, one is writing the episodes. Which is how you got this job in which the Which is how, place. how, yep, totally. So so being a writer, working with the writers, that's a full-time job. We're doing 24 episodes. It's a ton. And then at night, I have a second job, which is I edit. So, and then, so, um, so then there's the stage, which is something I, I don't do much. I, we, I hired a writer named Lou Schneider, who worked on Raymond, one of the first writers I ever met in the business, a family friend. And I hired him to go down. He actually has known Jeff since he was 19 or something. They, they were stand-ups together. So they're old friends. And they, you know, Jeff and Lou basically run the stage together. Jeff is, is kind of the heart and soul of the show, as you could see. He's so much fun to work with. Um, and Lou is there just making sure that the words we write get shot in the right way. And then they bring it back to me, and then I have to edit them. So I could be here... Um, it's it's you know generally we edit until one of till I fall asleep in the editing room and then then they'll be like all right it's time to go home so midnight one two then yeah before the so midnight one or two and yeah. what time do you get in? Um, well, my I have kids so they wake me up at six. Okay, so um, it's not a lot of sleep. Wow. Yeah. Um. So you did Breaking In in 2011. I just right. wanted to talk about that because you worked with Seth Gordon, who is yes. also involved in the show. Yes. Um, so How did you guys meet? So that was my first um, That was my first TV show that I got on the air. And Seth did, directed this movie called The King of Kong, which I think is literally one of the greatest movies that's ever been made. Um, so I saw this, and uh, he was working with Sony, and through Friends of Friends, I was like, I got to meet this guy. So we got together, and Seth had an idea about a security company. Um, he was interested in that world with hackers, and, and I thought that was a world I could populate with people that I knew, loving geek culture and everything. So that we teamed up and created the show Breaking In. We got Christian Slater, um, and it was uh, it was. It was kind of the opposite of this experience. It was never an easy fit. Hmm. Um, the show uh, holds the record tied with Family Guys for most times canceled. Um, it kept getting canceled and picked up and retooled, and they recognized Fox that they loved the cast, uh, but they just couldn't didn't understand what it was. It was a show about it was a workplace comedy about hackers in a security company, kind of. So after that, what were you like? I want to do different. Um, I, it was, what did you want to do different? You know, that, that, it's interesting how everything works out. Cause that show was my life for three years, start to finish. And I desperately tried to make it work. Um, and what I realized coming out of that experience was something when I was, when I was being retooled by Fox, I called, um, a writer that I really respect, uh, Greg Garcia, who created... He's been on Inflation oh, okay. Month. <laughs> I, I called Greg, who uh, worked on My Name is Earl, or created My Name is Earl, and and uh, The Millers, and um, 
Raising Hope. And, and I, I said to him, you know, you've dealt with Kevin Riley, the, um, the president of Fox a lot. You did Earl with him. You did Hope with him. Like, how do I navigate this? How do I? And he just said, look, at the end of the day, it's your show and you're going to live or die anyway. So you might as well do what you want. And just say yes a lot, and then just at the and then just make the calls that you make the show you want to make. Don't make a show that you think someone else wants. But what was the saying yes a lot part? Saying yes was in the room. Oh. You go, oh great, that's great, yes, totally, yes, and then you you take that into consideration, and then you make the show you want to make because it's going to get canceled anyway. You might as well be proud of it. So that was probably the best advice I ever got. I don't even know if Greg remembers this conversation that He's, we had. He is a phenomenal mentor i would say to anyone and i recommend people listen to my episode with him because i mean minus the fact that he can be a little bit of a diva and the weird thing that he wears dresses all the time it's really he's it's weird that well you know you know that about him so you kind of expect it going in but um no, no so that's funny so um so with this one uh there was a lot of concerns off the bat would the mom be unlikable would dad yell too much um were would, they too jewish was that were they were they yeah all all that were they would they be too jewish would they would barry be just this kind of spaz that people would make uh, want to turn off the tv and and i really from from moment one said this is how it has to be this is my and, and it's different because it is my family this time um but i would I really just did what I wanted because, and I took Greg's advice. You just, if they're going to cancel you, you might as well be canceled with the show you want and not this monstrosity, Frankenstein monster that they forced you to create. It seems like, um, to some extent, a cathartic experience to take all the yeah. the, the noise from childhood, but s- say what you were going to say. Oh, no, I, I just want to go back and answer the question before Cabbage Patch Kids and Jeff Garland came in, which was, look, my childhood... Um, was loud and nuts, but it was what I knew and it was normal and it was fun. Uh, and I, I think the show has become more wish fulfillment. So I, you know, I think in the beginning it was going to be like exposing my demons or something, but it, it's not that ultimately because it's on Disney. It's more like wish fulfillment, and I think what I w- we wish all our childhoods were like. So yeah, I was also going to ask. You started filming so young. Yes. And you did not grow up in Hollywood. I was stunned (laughs) that you knew to record everything and that you would set up things. I was told um, by an anonymous uh, uh, person uh, that you would you would set up scenes with your siblings to record them. Yeah, I would. um, One of my favorite things to do was um, because, you know, my relationship with my dad was just like in the show. He was a guy who would lounge about in his underwear, watch TV, come home from work tired, call us morons, scream and yell. You know, he was kind of wasn't the most loving of guy. I mean, he could be loving, but he just kind of wanted to do his thing and be left alone and and parent from his chair. So one of my favorite things to do was to set up the camera and call him in and just instigate him into freaking out at me, uh, which um, I it would I literally have a show called Annoy Your Parents. So I would set up the camera. How old were you when you did this? I was probably 11. I was a little punk, man. 11 or 12. I, I loved, I just loved my, when my family would melt down, getting that on video was like the most glorious thing to me. Because I was so much younger in, in real life. From, from your two older Yeah, brothers. they're seven and nine years older than me. So when you're that age, you're like this overlooked, I was like an overlooked little nerd. You know, they, they're teenagers. They want nothing to do with you. Um, you know, my dad's working. My mom's off shopping. 
you know, you're, I was kind of that third child that was like, I, you know, a mistake and, and like, I, I don't think I was, I don't think I was on purpose when the nine year difference is pretty big. So some people look at mistakes as an opportunity. Yes, <laughs> sure. I was an opportunity. Uh, no, I, I mean, I just, this was a way for me to interact with my family, you know, like interact with my dad, get him to freak out at me and then laugh and capture it on tape. It was, it was, it was very fun for me. And how did you know what to buy and, and how to videotape? I mean, just because you didn't grow up in a Hollywood right. family. So like JJ Abrams, um, would film things when he was very young, but that makes sense. He grew up in Hollywood. Right, right. He grew up in a, a suburban, yeah. well-off family, but it's in it's in, not here. It's I, in Philadelphia, right? I grew it was I grew up in Philly in the suburbs in Jenkintown, just like on the show. And um, I we got a video camera when I was really young. We were one of the first people to get one because my grandmother, uh, Pops's wife, uh, had leukemia and was dying. So my parents bought a camera to kind of get her on tape. So starting from when I was like five, I had a camera at my disposal and, um, and I had my next door neighbor, Chad, just like on the show. And he also had siblings that were seven to nine years older than him. So we were kind of like on our own. Um, when you're in the eighties, when you're that, we, I think by that point, our parents were kind of done. So there wasn't, they were like, do your own thing. Like, so Chad and I would just we had each other and we would make these movies. Um, it was just a fun, it was like fun to play with our action figures and record it and then watch it over again. We kind of learned as we went. And as we get older, you see our videos. We did this until we were in high school. So our videos get more, um, more intricate. Uh, we started buying equipment uh, from my bar mitzvah. My present from my parents was like two VCRs and a little like. You had two VCRs? Two VCRs for editing. No Betamax? Um, no, no Betamax. We weren't a Betamax family. Two VCRs and then a little, like, switchboard where you could do effects. Um, and so when, so when I was 13, I started editing. And we weren't in Hollywood, and I never wanted – I didn't even know what Hollywood was, really. I just knew I loved movies, and I knew I liked Saturday Night Live, and we'd do those parodies and all. It's very – it was very common today, I think. But back then, I think because you didn't have access to VCRs and cameras and all that stuff – it was a little bit more rare, and we were just kind of obsessed. It was like our it was our passion was making these movies instead of D and D. You went to an incredibly prestigious and old uh, high school. It's one of the oldest I schools did. in the in the, in the country, country. William yes. Penn, and is it just Penn Charter? Penn Charter. Yeah, the but it's the named William after Penn, William, right? the William Penn Charter School. I think he goes by Billy. To, I think he yes, went Bill, by Billy. Bill Penn. Billy Penn. Um, was Mr. Granger an influence on you? He was an art yeah. teacher. Um, this is like you're, you're pulling out. These are deep pulls. Um, no, our, our school, um, just like in the show, we went to this um, uh, in, in Philly. If you go to a private school, it's usually a Quaker school. Yes. So it was a Quaker school, um, but it was really strong in, in athletics and academics because it was like oh, it's the oldest in the country. So they have their sports, they have their academics, and I was like this kid that did that wanted to do theater. There wasn't even really a theater program. I think my junior year, we I put on my own plays. So I was kind of left to my, own, to my own devices to do my things. I made a lot of movies in school. Um, but the cool thing was, for some reason, they had one film class that was basically like a college-level class where you had Steenbeck's and um, you would get like the Bolex cameras in high. I think there were only like two or three programs like this. And I wonder if they still have it. But you get Bolex cameras, um, uh, film, they had editing equipment. And this, so that was a really big deal. And Mr. Granger taught that class. So that was like taking that class was when I realized I wanted to go to NYU and, and pursue this. 
Now, you're also interested in theater, and you, you won uh, an award for your playwriting right. as yes. well. And I wanted to hear about that. Um, you were in, um, in 1992 for um, Dr. Pickup? Yeah, yeah, that's really funny. Um, I was not prepared to answer all these questions. <laughs> uh, no, I, um, growing up, I didn't. I wasn't not an athlete. I was picked last in gym class. I'm um, shocked seeing I was, seeing a comedy writer who was not sure. <laughs> an athlete and was. Picked I would last. deflect all of. I would deflect with comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was and I was not. I, I struggled in school. So um, when I I wanted just like you know you you go okay I'll do theater and I quickly realized I was terrible at acting. So then I'm like so then what am I going to do with my life? Uh, I can't act. I can't. I, not good in school. I I can't be a doctor like my bro. Both my brothers and my dad are doctors. Your whole family are They're doctors. They're all doctors. I'm like I can't do that. I'm in I'm in D level math. So D for um, dynamite. Yeah, but the one thing I did always love was making movies and and creative writing and writing stories. That was the only time when like it would be a creative writing class in English where I go, this is the one thing that's like I got this. Um, that felt easy and felt like it clicked. So. Uh, when I just when I realized that acting was there was no future in that for me, I started writing plays. And um, when I, I this actually made me stop, put down the video camera. I was uh, in my sophomore year, and I stopped filming as much and became obsessive over playwriting because I had read this fact that if you worked at something for like what is it a hundred out a hundred thousand hours or something, you become a the Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, you become approach. a you, yeah, you become a. Uh, an expert at something yes. if you put and in you, the time. You discovered this before Malcolm Gladwell, so I just want to put that out there. Sure, I no, it you was. You may so, want to contact. It, him I think it was something that my my it was something that my grandfather said or something. But so I I kind of wanted to. I, I just said this is my thing, and I became obsessed with playwriting when I was in ninth or tenth grade. And I wrote up. I wrote up until when I was in college. I wrote like over a hundred plays. And um, and they were performed all over the country. So that's that's what that's what um, how I discovered writing was these was plays. So I, I had uh, I did the Philadelphia Young Playwrights. I did um, New York uh, Playwrights, where they perform it at the Joseph Papp Public Theater. That's I'd... where I'm play of the month's live tapings. Are. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. awesome. Um, and then yeah, and then I did I had something at the Kennedy Center when I was a senior in high school. So it was all really cool. They were all one acts. And the funny thing is, is they're all the ones that did well are all from my life about me and Barry or me and Pops, me and Murray. Like I, I some of this, it was like literally the precursor to the Goldbergs. I was writing plays about. I wrote this play, The Purple Heart, that was performed all over the country, which was about my grandfather's uh, having Alzheimer's. So um, I was. I didn't even realize this till recently. Someone said, how did you, how did, like, how did this show come about? And I'm like, I've really been writing this show since I was in 10th grade. Um, the first pl- play I wrote that got performed was about me and Barry and me annoying him and and how, but I just wanted to be close to him. Uh, so, I, yeah, I, 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 this is kind of a long time coming, this, this What show. do you attribute your phenomenal focus at such a young age to? Were your, uh, were your parents uh, very focused? Did they encourage you to sit down and just write? You? No, they didn't know what this was. They had no. They only knew medical school. That's the only thing they knew. And they didn't know what I was. They knew that I wasn't interested in any of that. They encouraged theater because it was something that made me happy. Because I don't think they knew where else I fit in. Um, and they didn't know what writing was. They, didn't, they thought when I went to NYU for film, they were like, okay, it'll be an English teacher. They thought that's what you ended up doing. They didn't know that you could go out to L.A. and make money writing, like, your scripts. They just – it never occurred to them that that was a career. And was that your goal? 
my goal was to be a writer. Um, you know, on my desk over there is I invited Stephen King to my bar mitzvah, and uh, I always wanted to be a writer as long as I can remember. I just didn't know how that would look, and I invited. It's right there. Can you bring that over? I also just want to tell for listeners there are two plaques that you would see perhaps in a judge's office where it would say, you know, judge, um, I don't know. Uh, Reinhold? Reinhold. <laughs> or, or for, yeah, sure. Um, or Justice Stephen Breyer. And instead they say taint specialist yep. and big hairy Jew. Yep, those are my titles here on the just show. Just reinforcing everyone's uh, dreams. If, any, if anyone out there has a taint that needs looking at, I'm a specialist. Um, Is that so, true? Uh, it is true, yes. Um, uh, so this is the, like, so when I was 13, I invited Steven Spielberg and Stephen King to my bar mitzvah because they were my two favorite people in the world. And Stephen King, Steven Spielberg called back, like his office, not him, his office called back and said he can't make it. He's shooting uh, always. Um, but they sent me a bunch of um, articles about how he got into being a director. Uh, it was huge. That was huge. Uh, and then Stephen This is the part of the interview where I cry. <laughs> and then Stephen King wrote me back, like on the response card, which is says, Dear Adam, happy bar mitzvah. Um, and thank you for your interest in my work. You sound like a really neat kid, and I'd be there if I could. Make your parents proud, be happy, and keep writing, Stephen King. So that was like, you know, that's what I, I knew I would be a writer. But um, I didn't know how that would look. I thought, okay, maybe I'll write books like Stephen King or something like that. Uh, but when I discovered playwriting, everything clicked for me. And I knew that like this form was something I wanted to pursue. So I became, I thought, I don't know where else I'm going to end up in life. That, to answer your question, that's why I became obsessive about it. I was like, this is my one shot to do something. Because I don't, this is the only thing that makes sense for me. Um, I think it came from being kind of geeky and not fitting in and in my school, like the kind of person I was, there wasn't a lot that of people That doesn't like explain me. the ability to follow through on the level that you did. I mean, right. most people don't write a hundred plays in high school. Yeah. I think I was just trying to learn. That was, you know, you know, uh, I think I remember there's a Woody in a Woody Allen movie he said, learn by doing. It was like that kind of thing. I just, I kept writing over and over. Um, and you, you know, and the plays were getting better and better and getting attention. So I was getting encouraged. And then how did you segue into film for fanboys? Um, well, I went to NYU and, uh, I, I did a double major in film and dramatic writing and my parents made me do dramatic writing. Um, I, no, I wanted to do dramatic writing, which was like learning how to write TV and movies. My parents said, you have to do film because we don't know how you can make money being a writer. Like, what is dramatic writing? Like, what is that? Like, film, you could at least, like... You write very slowly. Slowly and dramatically. Dramatically. Uh, They were like, you know... Yeah, (laughs) like, for film at NYU, you can, like, be a boom guy or maybe a sound person. like Gaffer or best boy. A best boy, a grip. Uh, (laughs) Things they... They they didn't know what they were, but they knew the terms. Uh, So they made me do both, and I learned how to do screenwriting... It was, it's a, it's a craft you definitely need to take a course on or read a book on. Um, and are there any you recommend to people? Save the cat, um, is kind of, I think the best way to, the structure that I use. Uh, and then I, I, I went out of NYU with a bunch of film scripts that did not sell and were bad. Um, but at least I was right, like learned that the the craft of, of screenwriting as much as like a 21 year old could. 
And when I got out, I matched up with Lou Schneider, who I mentioned again, who was a family you, friend. Okay. I moved out to L.A. and I met up with Lou Schneider through family, through my wife's um, family friend. And he was like, have you ever considered TV? Because, you know, film scripts are so long. Like, TV's only 30 pages. And I was like, oh, that, that sounds great. And he's like, and there's a spec. And I, you know, at NYU teaches this now at the time in the late 90s. They didn't really focus on TV writing. There was one sitcom writing class. Um, so I didn't know anything about it. And my, and my scripts were all comedies, my, my screenplays. So he's like, yeah, just pick a, a show that's on the air, write a spec, and, if, and I'll read it. And so this guy, Lou, encouraged me and kind of mentored me. And I hired him on my show, on the Goldbergs. So paid off for him, I guess. Now I get to torture him every day. And you, you also went to theater camp when you were a kid, too? I did. Much. Um, there's a couple writers in the room that went to theater camp. I think uh, um, I went to Stage Door. Uh, oh, that, it's famous. Stage it's Rainer. famous. Those were those were the glory days. Those were like the best times of my life. Did in, you know David thing. Wayne or Josh Charles? They were all there. Old, they're all older than me. I I went. They're way I, older than me yeah. too. I mean, I think they're like in their sixties. Yeah, they're like, um, you know, they're the greats. They're the comedy greats that you admire, like them and Mel Brooks. They're super old, so I don't. Um, yeah, I didn't know them. They were there decades before me. But uh, I. <laughs> Maybe even centuries. Centuries. Um, no, I was there with like I'm trying to think who was there when I was there. But Wet Hot um, American Summer is based on your camp a little bit. Is that is that true? Yeah, I didn't know that. Well, I mean, unless they went to another camp in addition. I guess you're right. It never occurred to me because I thought that was always like '80s summer camp. Because I did my my parents forced not forced me, but they sent me at eight years old to like Jewish sleepaway camp. Which one? It was called Echo Lark. Okay. And um, I still have a really close friend from there, but it was like your standard. You know, uh, during the year, um, you were a terrible athlete and horrible with girls, and you'd go to Jewish sleepover camp, and suddenly you were like Wayne Gretzky, and girls talk to you. I went to um, also a Jewish sleepaway camp, and they would rake the forest. Before, they'd make the counselors rake the forest before the, the parents came. Why? Just so the parents... To clean it up. That's amazing. <laughs> that seems so real and true, too. They should use that in Wet Hot American Summer. That's amazing. <laughs> You know, Jewish parents don't want to see a messy forest. They want to know they're getting their money's worth. Um, uh, so, yeah, I went to that sports camp for years, from 8 to, like, 14, and then I went to Stage Door, where I found my people. So nice. Yeah. Um, was anyone in your family in showbiz? Was anyone, like, a mascot or anything? That's that's really that's awesome. I wanted to desperately do this episode, and I think I will one day. So, um, how do you know all this? It's so bizarre. Uh, so, I... The only person in show business um, that my dad would always talk about was Max Patkin, the clown prince of baseball, who um, I thought more people would know, but he was in Bull Durham. As, uh, I love Bull Durham. Yeah. What was he? He was himself. He was like the guy who wears a question mark on the back of his jersey and spits beer in the air. And yes! He, like back in the day, he would travel. There were baseball clowns. It was a profession. And he would travel and do like like minor league games and some major league games where he was this ca- goofy character, kind of like a Jim Carrey physically, where he could do all these crazy things with his body and... Um, and I completely remember yeah. this was my first sex movie. I mean, I mean Dirty Dancing yeah. in this one, but this was real sex. This was the real thing, yeah. too. Sometimes I, you I, win, sometimes yeah. you lose, and sometimes I vividly you remember that. I think, I think I, I don't know, did I see it in the theater? I might have even seen it in the theater because, like, our relative was in the movie, and I remember being feeling awkward next to my parents during that screwing scene. You know what I'm talking about? Total, yeah. Dirty Dancing, I was sitting next to my mother, and there's a scene where, like, 
um, Denver Grace dancing yeah. with Patrick Swayze, and I like flinched. Like no, I was like, I, I don't know, but my mom, if my mom could handle it. That was my fear. Was I was you know worried she wouldn't be able. Interesting to it. about that move you just did because I said in the room the other day, was Dirty Dancing even dirty? Like I don't remember it being that dirty. But they I was, weren't we like were grinding. So young. I know, but yeah. We were so but young. one of the writers, Nikki, did that move. The Grays almost are along the nipple. That was dirty. I mean, I'm so. still getting chills. <laughs> <laughs> I carried um, a watermelon. <laughs> yeah, mine. I was more of a footloose guy. Oh well, dirty. that's yeah. incredible, and that so, makes sense. I think yeah. these were geared towards towards. Uh, for sure. Yeah, I, yeah. We, there was dancing in my town, but I still related to it for some reason. Uh, but yeah, so that we had a we had a baseball cloud in my family. That was the one guy in Hollywood. How, um, can you just tell me his history? Like how he came to be, how the yeah. baseball. Came, he was a um, a minor league ball player that was like the goofy guy on the team and he pitched against someone who like hit a grand slam and he followed him around the bases, making fun of him, making everyone laugh to diffuse the fact that he wasn't a great pitcher. And then they were like, you're onto something. You should be a, we should come to the park and just be funny. So he made that a career. He was, he's in the hall of fame. He's in the baseball hall of fame. And he looks like my dad, which is so bizarre to watch is my dad's cousin. And my dad, well, some of his best memories are going to watch this baseball clown and and my dad would always talk about him in terms of Hollywood, like, you know, that's a hard life. Like, this guy struggled. Like, Max went from town to town, sleeping in crappy hotels, like, trying to scrape together money and earn a living. Like, so my dad was like, that's what entertainment is. So I identify dad, with Max. I understand that. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> Coming to L.A., getting a free uh, steak here, scraping free it together. Free steak. <laughs> Free scored sake at the Sony lot. It'll it'll feed me for a week. But I, it is interesting to wonder if Max Max gave birth to doctors and then doctors give birth to um, comedy writers. Yeah, that's maybe. May, you know, I wonder what gives birth to a comedy writer. We we in the room we discuss a lot. I think you have to be incredibly damaged, but also somehow still serve. Like you survived a dysfunctional war or something. Um, and you know what? I feel like it prepared me for Hollywood. For my, sure. My childhood. Like, I was like, oh, I can deal with narcissism. Oh, for sure. And like, um, and at the same time, joy and humor. Like, how you talked about, like, arguing as a way of life. I thought that uh, was because my parents were lawyers. So to hear you and Jeff yeah. Garland speak, I'm like, oh, no, this is just a cultural thing. I mean, Jeff is like the example of like, I don't know, maybe it's a, a thing with Jews and Italians. And like, there's just certain cultures where you're just loud. Greeks. You know, like my big fat Greek wedding, when I watched that movie, yeah. it was kind of like a revelation to me. It was, oh, I don't know, how long was that? 10 years ago now? Maybe longer. But I was like, oh, this is my family. I've never seen this before. Right. Um, so I didn't, I didn't know that there were other families like this. Were there elements to the show that you were told to keep out by the network? Like, I was no. just curious about the Judaism part, just because I remember Phil it's, Rosenthal said right. that, um, you know, Everybody Lives Raymond was really about his Jewish family right. and they made it Italian. Well, yeah, but... Isn't Ray Romano Italian? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, but it's about, I guess it's a, it, that show's interesting and it comes up a lot because it's a lot of what we're doing here is, and, and Lou Schneider was one of the main Raymond writers. Um, no, I mean, I, it's so interesting because Paul Lee, the, the president of ABC, when he saw, the way I sold the show was I cut together the home movies we've talked about into like a sizzle reel of just me doing Annoy Your Parents and getting my dad to melt down and my dad calling me a moron and my mom screaming at the fuck in the house and that's why Beverly curses every episode and uh, being smothering and kissing me and I don't want it and Barry screaming at me and just like literally the show pops in his red leisure suits going out on a date 
it's like, and I was like, this is the show. And there, and Paulie was, and he's this kind of, um, you assume a proper English guy. Uh, he's a, you know, he's from, he's from the UK. So I'm like, this guy is not going to get this show at all. And he was just speechless by this video. And he goes, I don't know. And a lot of people know this, like I'm Jewish and this is my family. He's like, yeah, it's kind of rare because we're from England, but he's like, it's like looking into a mirror. So his thing was more. He was like, I want them to be louder during the pilot. And I'm like, I don't know. That's why the pilot, I think, is so loud because Paul was like, I want emotional blackmail from the mom. I want the dad to be, you know, like he totally got it, Um, which is why there's such support. Like he's like, this is our show. This is a show about my family, too. Um, So, no, if anything... Um, I, and, and what's, what's really interesting is like the show, they say it's not Jewish, but then when we're like, you know, there's, uh, arguments like, should we be switched with blackish because we're the Jewish show and they're up against empire, uh, which is stealing their audience. And I'm like, okay, so now when it comes to co- theoretical conversations about the show, it's the Jewish show, but when people watch it, they go, it's not Jewish. So it's, I don't know, it's really, it's been really interesting to watch this whole thing progress. I'm just showing what I grew up with. I think it's also what you talked about was coming from immigrant backgrounds is ultimately right. what brings all these people together, yeah. whether it's Greek, Italian, or Jewish. Right. And then the question of assimilation, when you get to this sort of suburban milieu. Right. Yeah, we weren't like, we were holiday Jews. Um, I, it's interesting, with, with Blackish on the air now, like our joke in our family was we were Jewish. Like, yeah. we weren't doing Shabbat, we weren't... Um, your eyebrows were doing Shabbat, though. Yeah, they, they were. They were doing Shabbat for <laughs> Exactly. I yeah. say this as someone who also has very deep brows. Uh, yes, <laughs> I have I have very distinct giant brows that my wife goes, can we just mow those down a little bit? Um, I was curious how, what influence the Wonder Years had on you. I mean, it's all it's what exactly what I wanted to do. I, um, it, it was interesting to me that that show hasn't really been done again. And it worked so well, and it was that show was so big for me. I was the exact age of Kevin Arnold. I would that was like, I would watch that show. It was the first show I ever watched, which I like related to on such a deep level. And at the end of every episode, I would like cry, even though I was like a, a dude in seventh grade. Um, I just like while all the other guys in seventh grade were pining for Winnie, you were pining for Kevin. I was pining for Kevin. I was pining for Fred Savage, who um, directed an episode of The Goldbergs this year and did a great job. Uh, no, I pined for Winnie hard. I was madly in love with Winnie. I I, was, I, as a female, I, we all pined for Winnie. I was I, so I, invested I in that, in those relationships. It was like that was, uh, and it was so interesting. I didn't understand any of the any of the Vietnam stuff, I, any of the times. I no no concept of what they were t- when they did a walkout episode. I'm like, what the f- what the hell's a walkout? Oh, so you, know? you had no, no, um, so in growing up, you were not aware of the political issues no. going on. No, I did not understand any of that. I, that was not my bag. All I understood was Kevin Arnold has two girls, uh, Becky Slater and Winnie Cooper, and who's he going to pick? And, and that, like, the dad just, like, was my, was my dad in a different kind of way. That dad was more, like, reserved and didn't say what he felt and bottled it. He was like a, like a powder keg ready to go off that you that you were scared of. My dad was like a the opposite. He yelled and you laughed because it was hilarious. Um, so the dads were different, but kind of the same. And I related to the mom who was the happy homemaker. Like it was just, I'd never seen it before. It, it I, I watched some of those episodes I'd only seen once or twice. And I remember every beat. It was like, I was recording it in my head. It was, it was so big for me. That show was so impactful for me. Um, so when I, 
I didn't know how to do the Goldbergs. Doug Robertson saw my videos at Happy Madison was like, this is a show. And that's Adam Sandler's production company. Adam Sandler's production company. Like, Doug, who runs it, saw the, sh- saw the videos, and he was like, this is a show. And I, I didn't know how to do it. I'm like, okay, so it's set today. And I kept sitting down at the computer over the years. So this was like an eight-year journey. He saw the videos eight years ago. And I was like, ah. And I have all these different versions. And then finally one day I was like, the videos are set in the 80s set the show in the 80s and do the Wonder Years. So that's exactly what I did. Do you ever get calls from people you grew up with where they recognize their names or things that happen? Because yeah. you use real people's names and stuff in Every the show. Every person on the show, starting at... Sony would not let me do it for the first eight episodes. Because they were like, it's your family. They've signed off. They've signed, But we're going to get sued if, like... We could potentially get sued if you do a character about a teacher and they don't like it or something. So they were very, you know, the lawyers get very scared and worried. And then I just said, you know what? It has to be the real thing. At a certain point, I said to them, I'm just going to do it and I'll just get the signatures. So I went to everyone in my high school class and I, Facebook is so great this way. Old teachers that I had, I would get their signatures, um, get them to sign off just because, and everyone's been super cool about it and kind of trusted me that I won't totally abuse like, and I'll, I'll keep it to the reality of what it was. Could you, for listeners, maybe just give them a sample um, as we as we head out from this wonderful interview? Because sure. I know you have to get to, s- yes. to set and yes. actually get your table read done. Yes. What? What would you like to sing? Oh, no, I'm no, God, no. Then I'm, I'm not, I can't do that. I can't sing. Yeah. <sighs> um, One of your favorite camp favorites. My, oh, a camp favorite. I'm trying to think. This is your only what, moment that you get pleasure. What, a camp, what is a camp? I don't know. What do you think? What's a camp favorite? Well, I thought I've seen fire and I've seen rain. Yeah, that's a friend. good one. I'm trying to think. Um, I think, oh God, I'm trying to remember. What is a good camp favorite? I believe Red you're the inspiration. Oh, please sing was, it for us. Uh, well, you're the meaning in my life. You're the inspiration. Oh, she's, she is rocking out right now. Uh, that one is in our mixtape episode. And all of the writers were like, this song is so lousy. Please don't do this. Um, it was our opener this year. And I'm like, this was my camp song with my girlfriend. Um, and so it has to be the song. Let's dedicate it to her. What was her name? Her name was Jamie Ganzel. Okay, let's dedicate it to Jamie Ganzel. She, um, she looked at me and she was like, this is our song. She kind of told me. She was like, this is our song. Let's uh, dedicate this to Jamie Ganzel. And she Ganzel. sang it to me. And then, uh, and then I used it this year and every step of the way, the writers were like, you know, what about this song? What about uh, Warrant, Heaven by Warrant? I'm like, nope, it's got to be this one. And I stuck to my guns and it is in the episode. Okay, so and... let's just sing the, the chorus. Sure. You're the meaning in my... Do you get everyone to sing? You're the inspiration. You bring meaning to my life. You're the inspiration. Take it. I want to... I'm tone deaf. I want to... Well, so am I. <laughs> no one needs you more than I need you. That's it, right? That was beautiful. Well, thank you. Thank I'm going to let you get back to work. One more question. Now I'm avoiding work. All right. I Anything really, else? I really want to know, because in some ways your family seemed really dysfunctional, yeah. and in some ways they clearly gave you some sense sure, of what I'm, it means to be a hard worker. I'm somewhat normal. That was the original title of my pilot, How the Fuck Am I Normal? Um, and my wife would say I'm not normal at all, and I give a good illusion of being normal. But yeah, no, we're all adjusted. Me and my brothers, we're all successful, adjusted guys. Um, I think normal on paper, normal on paper. 
And I think, like, look, my parents did the best they could. They, they, had, they had no idea what the hell they were doing. They learned from their parents who were, like, like you said, immigrants. Um, and my mom was like, we didn't have blogs and, and like, classes. And she's like, we didn't It's also have- a different era. I mean, yeah. the, the, the sort of child-centric era now, like, a lot of the things that I would blame my parents for not being as available in all of these things that I wanted as a kid wasn't part of their vocabulary. It wasn't right. in... Yeah, vernacular. Absolutely. So I think they did the best they could. And in a lot of ways, like my brothers raised me um, because they were so much older and they were the ones that read to me at night. And uh, they were the ones that took care of me a lot of the time, um, like and looked out for me. So I think I had that, too. Um, Like when I, you know, and I realized as an adult, like if I was buying a car, I'd call my brother and I'd call my oldest brother, not my dad. So I think there's that aspect, too. It's a good thing about having older siblings. Um, But we're also all my, we're all united against like having a, a overbearing smother and complain about her. So we have that in common too. So we've we've survived that. Um, I should show you my phone. It's just where is it? It's just voicemail. After I realized this today, it is my mom, and she'll admit to this. We'll call me five. Like we'll call me and my brothers easily each five times a day. So that's fifteen calls. <laughs> From Beverly Goldberg. It's just over and over. I'm going to take a screenshot of that, and that'll be your award photo. It's just your mom. My mom, over and over. Over and over. What I love about that is I also like when I don't pick up that my mom or aunt will just call back. Sure. As if, of course. Of course. As if I may have missed the call yeah. a second ago. I, mom, if you're listening, I don't even listen to the voicemails. You might not even, I mean, there's so many. They're all the same. Let's see. I've never listened to this one. This one is from September 21st. Here, we'll go out I on a Beverly Goldberg. If you get a chance, I had some news. Cousin Arnie died. Oh, God. Uh, That's Arnie. a terrible one. Can we do another one? <laughs> <laughs> Cousin Arnie died. Well, there's my mom delivering terrible news. Let's Wait. have you. Let's Adam, have... call me. I'd like to talk to you. Oh, they're just, I've never listened to these. Hi, Adam's mom. Do you have a couple minutes to give me a question to ask you? Oh, God. They're over and over. Sorry, cousin Arnie. Does she time he was the, the best. Does she time the deaths in the family to how much passive aggressive? Yes. Feeling yes. she has. A lot you. of it is about. We're doing an episode now about how my mom uses guilt as a way to get us to hang out with her, and how um, what are like those terms? I failed as a mother, and you've broken my heart, and what have I done to raise such horrible children, and all of those. Does standards. she bring up all the other kids who come home regularly? Oh, this <laughs> sure, sure. All of my yeah, I should have had girls because they. They stay close to home, and we're more self-flagellating. I yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. They stay close to home, and um, you I know. remain single perpetually. Sure, yeah, yeah. Emotional damage. Yep. Whereas the boys move on and get married. Oh, happily. of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> what have I done to deserve this? The whole, the whole thing. She's, she's a classic, uh, cl- a classic kind of Jewish mother in that way. Let's have one more Beverly Goldberg message because there are sure. forty on your sure. phone. Sure. Oh god, cousin Arnie died. That's that was like my dad's best friend. I'm he was sorry the best. That, by the way. No, no. It's you know it was. It's, uh, I didn't say it was my fault, but I just wanted to. <laughs> yes, um, my name's Shaquita Muhammad. Somebody called me from this number, um, 215-917-6074, so I can give me a call back. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's amazing. Why did your mom record that for you? I think what that is is I think that's I accidentally called my dad's cell phone meaning to call my mom maybe your dad's hanging out with i don't know woman. yeah no 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 so so my dad and my mom oh, got cell phones one digit away from each other so i think i dialed my dad's 
uh, cell phone by accident, and my you know, my dad passed away six yes. years ago. Yes. So I think Shaquita has his cell phone now. Oh, we should call Shaquita and tell That's her about amazing. That. Maybe Beverly you should call? be leaving messages. Bye-bye. Did you call? Bye-bye. I did not call. Do, do one more. Do one more. Do one more. <laughs> All right, sure. Adam, Stan sent you the pictures, by the way, to take a look. Uh, just little tidbits here and there to see. That was a long one. Hi, it's me. Um, <laughs> every, every one has to start with... Hi, it's me. Okay, this is going to be a bad news. Just I knew that it was a beautiful episode. I sent you an email. Made me cry a little. Uh, any rate, love you. And uh, call me tomorrow if you get a chance. Bye-bye. Yeah, she, she watched your episode she and likes, made her cry. Yeah, I think this one was the episode um, about uh, the royal wedding one. About them. Uh, an episode about them. She yeah, she loves to show. How sweet is it to know that you're having this beautiful impact on people, including your mom? Uh, I think it's great. I mean, it resurrects my dad, who we all miss, um, and it, um, you know, it's like the best version of my family that ever was. We this is the Disney version of my family. People assume I'm exaggerating. I'm actually pulling back a lot because I don't think anyone wants to watch the reality of what it was on TV. Um, but you know, this is. You know, I always say it was supposed to be like an expose. And now it's just I, I switched it once it was at ABC to now it's all this is all of our family. So I, I like that people relate to the show. Um, I never thought that would be the case. I thought the point of the show was people were going to go, wow, how did you survive? They're nuts. And now it's like, dude, I had that same experience. Or, you know, I'm, I also secretly danced to the new kids on the block or um, that's what the show quickly became. And I think what what started to resonate with people. I don't think people want to, in a lot of ways in a comedy, they want to see themselves. They want to feel good and laugh and, and be touched. Um, So that's really exciting that like, there's so many, and I didn't realize there were so many people out there like me. I get tweets. Like I was a kid that was alone with a video camera, you know, like I, and I didn't know there were people like me out there. Um, And that's cool to see. So yeah. It's so good that all of, those that are tweeting you, I imagine, didn't grow up to become child molesters. They either grew up to be yeah. fans or, or, or budding there, filmmakers. There are some serial killers, too. So, um. <laughs> Thank you for bringing us the Goldbergs. You're Thank welcome. You, for bringing the you got the whole experience. Home. You got people knocking on the door trying to ask me questions about Cabbage Patch Kids. Jeff Garland. <laughs> And uh, and and news from my mom that cousin Arnie had passed away. We miss you, cousin Arnie. Yes, he was the best. Um, and we miss you, Dad, as well. <laughs> All right, bye. <laughs> That's it for this episode of Employee of the Month. Thank you so much to Ian Mazoff for editing this together. Thanks to all of you. Please go to the website, employeeofthemonthshow.com, to get on the mailing list and donate. And you can also subscribe on iTunes as well as brush your teeth twice a day and floss. There's really nothing else I think you're supposed to do. I think that's honestly basically it. Maybe work. Maybe. 